Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Badgers 2 0. Since last time we had an opportunity to chat, they, t- they go on the road and they beat Nebraska, uh, get 30 points from Brad Davison, a school record tying eight three-pointers from him. Then they come home and they beat Purdue 69-65, get eight straight free throws from Brad Davison and Brevin Pritzel down the stretch to close that one out, put up their best shooting performance from the line of 20 attempts since 2014. Do you remember what game in 2014 they, they went 19 of 20 in? I'm going to go out on a limb and guess it was Kentucky in the national semifinal. <laughs> and do you know, and I think pretty much everybody that listens to this podcast knows what free throw was missed. Was it Trayvon Jackson yes. at the end? I do when recall. He went to, when he Mr. Went two, Clutch. When he went two or three from the line yeah, uh, to give them a two-point lead. And then obviously they came Still down and drilled a three. And then he came down and almost made that jumper. But it made the following year that much better for them to have that that story about that focusing on Kentucky the entire way. Either way, yeah, Wisconsin goes 19-20. And those were as pressure-packed as free throws as you could possibly get in that situation because they were not—they were essentially allowing Purdue to score at will. Like they just—we're not going to give up a three. We're going to make you, you know, earn it. Every, not, not even earn it, but make you run enough time off to to put up a two. And Matt Painter was betting that Wisconsin was going to miss a free throw, and Greg Gard was putting enough belief in his guys to say, "Nope, we're going to hit them all." And Brad and Brevin were fantastic. I feel like the closing stretch, maybe the last 10 minutes of the second half, was a microcosm of Wisconsin's season as a whole. How so? Because this group has been teetering on the edge of disaster, seemingly, <laughs> all season long. The program's going to be in shambles because Kobe King left. They they were terrible in the, in the Barclays Center. They lost three straight non-conference game. And then they play Indiana that, at the time, was un, unbeaten and destroy the Hoosiers by 20 points. They beat Michigan State with seven scholarship players. They look terrible on the road against Minnesota. And then come back, and here they are with three straight wins in a five-way tie for third place. So if you're drawing parallels, which I like to do, I, I think the, the closing stretch there says a lot because we saw what happened against Illinois earlier in the year. They very well could have lost that game. Purdue cut that to two points four different times, and yet every time Wisconsin responded. And now they're sitting here looking pretty good as, as postseason play approaches. Well, yeah, and I said that to you. As we're going down the stretch, I'm like, this feels like Illinois a little bit. And Purdue had their shot. It was 61-59, and uh, Sasha, whatever his last name is, came off the screen and got a shot up, and it was a good shot, and it didn't go in, and yet they got the offensive rebound, and instead of going up with it, he kicks it back out and takes a probably ill-advised three that goes up and over the backboard. And at that point, that was, the last, that was their last chance to, to either tie or take the lead. When Purdue had the ball... They had no chance to either tie or or win the game the rest of the way because Wisconsin was able to hit their free throws. So, yes, the last 538, they did not make a shot. They went 0 for 8. And some of the shots, I know that there were people obviously upset within the building and on Twitter about perhaps some of the offensive inactivity. And, look, when you have a big lead, when you have a lead, Wisconsin has shown that they're going to drain clock. And uh, at times, it feels stagnant. But they also, I think, kind of got the matchups they wanted when they, when you had, when you had the switch at the top with Demetri Trice working on Travion Williams. You know, maybe some guards in the double bonus would go to the, would go try and get inside and get to the lane and, and put a shot up. But that's not Demetri's game. It, it did seem 
to me on a couple of those possessions indicative of what we've been talking about all season that there isn't that and on the roster right now that one guy that you say it's closing time absolutely go get the bucket it was Dimitrik was basically dribbling out the shot clock trying to get a mismatch and taking a shot and even out of a timeout that they had you, you thought they at least ran offense though Yes, and because before that, they were just all standing around. I think I commented to you, they're literally just all standing there while Dimitri dribbles the ball, and so I understand that can be frustrating uh, from the fans' perspective, but again, you got to give this team a bunch of credit because they missed a bunch of shots, eight straight. They got five offensive rebounds in the last four-plus minutes, and as Matt Painter said after the game, that that was the difference yep. in the game outside of Aleem Ford, obviously, who I'm sure we'll discuss quite a bit on this episode, but... They scrapped and they clawed, and they've done all the things that they've needed to do to put them in this position. I know they haven't played the greatest Big Ten competition in this three-game stretch. I mean, Purdue, Ohio State, and Ohio Nebraska. State, Ohio State's ranked. Don't have great records in conference play. I mean, Purdue's under 500 now. Ohio State's 500. But that's Big Ten basketball, and they got to go out and get those wins. So kudos to the Badgers. Yeah, kudos to them. And, and the way that they shot the ball – the last three games, really, I mean, from three, they've been in double digits in threes in conference games for the first time since 2017. Three straight times, they've been in double digits in threes for the first time since 2017. Now, I'll ask this question a little bit later on, but their three-point shooting has been, to be fair, streaky, right? But, yes, right? Putting it mildly, yes. Yes, but certain guys have started to get hot. Before last night, Demetri Trice was shooting 46% from three from the Michigan State game, or the, the first Michigan State game, so middle of January, so it's a lot bigger sample size than just the last Michigan State game. You have Brad Davison, who hit 8 of 11 against Nebraska, came back against Purdue, went 3 for 5, and then Aleem Ford. We've got to talk about Aleem because that's four double-digit scoring performances in the last five games, and in the other one was the Nebraska game. He had a career-high 10 rebounds. So the guy did not have more than seven rebounds in any game before the last three, and he's gone... Nine, ten, seven. I mean, I, I and then five of eight from three. His his three point shot has started to come along. So those three guys getting hot. It's kind of like the reverse of what we saw at the end of last year, where Dimitri got cold, Brad got cold, and I, I obviously I don't think Aleem ever heated up at all last year. But those three guys, if they get hot, you f- you got to feel a lot better about things. You got to feel kind of like you felt at the beginning of last year. If you're going to make a run, this is exactly what has to have happen. That We've said before that they've got six, seven, eight guys that are capable of playing like this, but basically all season it had not been a collective effort. I think you can make the case. I, I would throw Nate Reavers in there as well among the guys that are playing some of their best basketball. Now, he's been streaky in stretches, but I think he's got double figures in scoring nine of the last ten games. Now, he's a focal point of the offense, so he's he probably going to get more touches. But like his second half, yeah. his first half, not good. He, got, <laughs> he didn't no, score. He, he was non-existent, basically. He got he, dominated. He got pushed around, and it, there was there was very little resistance inside. Both him and Micah, for that for that matter. It wasn't just Nate. Uh, Trayvon Williams owned the inside in the first half. Uh, second half, a little bit less than that. I think he had eight points and four rebounds in the second half. He was a, a monster in the first half, though. But what you saw from Nate in the second half, I think, is... It's just that extra piece that you absolutely need. The, he buried that three-pointer. It was yep. a deep, deep three-pointer from like the left uh, corner, and because it was, was like seven, it was under eighteen minutes left in the second half. His first points, yeah, and he winds up with twelve in the second half. It was it was really remarkable. Do and drew three fouls early mm-hmm. in that, including you know to get harms in, in trouble. So I mean, yeah, it was if you have four guys, and it doesn't even matter which four, but four guys playing some of their best basketball at, at the same time at a stretch like this. 
that's going to make a huge difference. You mentioned Dimitrik. He's got 35 assists in his last six games. He's really dishing it re- very, very well, and guys are making shots. And Brevin Pritzel said after the game, he, he looked at the box score and pointed out that they didn't shoot particularly well. It's 38%, 19 for 50, but of those 19 made field goals, 13 of them uh, were assists. And so th- that told him that they're moving the ball well and they're getting good shots. And so that obviously takes a collective effort at a place like Wisconsin. It does. They um, obviously hit what they hit 12 threes. Mm-hmm. So they had seven makes inside the two-point line. Can you win games like that? You can win games like that, but I don't think that's necessarily the formula for success. If, if you're asking this Wisconsin team to rely just on the outside shot, they can do it, but I, I still don't have the faith in this team that that's what it's, it's going to happen for three straight games or something like that in the NCAA tournament to get you to the no. Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. But if you can have some of that and get more of an interior game and get Michael Potter rolling again, right. that's a really good inside-outside combo. Yeah, but Mike, Micah didn't have it last night or against Purdue. He was 0 for 3. Um, you know, just, I think, what did he end up playing? How many minutes did he end up playing? Um, 16 minutes. It was not his best thing. And, the, and he got the start, obviously, and it just it didn't click. So it is what it is, and he goes back and he'll have a, a shot you know, to bounce back against Rutgers. And Rutgers, he did not get to play against Rutgers the first time around. That was the that was the second Big Ten game after the uh, uh, Indiana game, and so he did not play in that game. So it's all it's all coming back again. Wisconsin. This is a little bit of a I don't want to call it a revenge tour, but it's kind of a little bit of a revenge tour. They had their their revenge against Michigan State, who had beat them earlier in the year. They got their revenge against Purdue, who had beat them earlier in the year. They get Rutgers on Saturday, who had beaten them earlier in the year, and they get Minnesota. Uh, at home as well, who had beaten them earlier in the year. So they have a little bit of a revenge tour to close out the regular season. Five games left, three of them at home, the two road games at Michigan, which uh, would be a quad one win, and at Indiana, which I think would probably be a, what are they? Uh, it would be a quad one win also because they're 63 in the net rankings, yeah. and I think if you win a true road game, right? top 75. Yeah, one through 75. Yeah, so they got those quad win possibilities. They got a quad win possibility in Rutgers coming here. So there are opportunities to get even better right now because Wisconsin, you know, you look at the seeding and it's eight, nine. Some people have them seven. Like if they could add a couple of more of these quad one wins, I mean, I, it's not just being on the bubble. I'm like, I don't even, I wouldn't even call them on the bubble right now. Like I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think they are at 16 and 10. I don't think they're on the bubble. Um, two more wins guarantees them probably a, a spot. And so got to feel good where they are and, and the opportunity to add to it. you got to be playing your best ball at this point, and Greg Gard kind of talked about it after the game, that he thinks that they they are, and he keeps on hammering home, and he's hammered at home since Kobe King left, that it's togetherness in the locker room and people playing for each other and all that stuff that he's been hammering home since Kobe King left, and it, it's paid off. What are they? They're 4-1 right now. Without you him. count the Iowa game? I mean, you I could. Count it. I count four it. And two. So 4-2. and two. But still. But in, darn and good. honestly, the Iowa game for the first thirty-three minutes of it, that was some of their best basketball of the year. So, yeah, is it fair to say they've been a better ba- basketball team without Kobe King? That's oh, I, is man. that tough? That, that, I mean, ultimately, the results kind of yeah, speak for but, themselves, right? But their schedule earlier in the year, yes, was more difficult than than again without him. They've beaten Michigan State. They've beaten Ohio State. They've uh, gone on the road, beaten Nebraska. They've beaten a Purdue team who was desperate and played, I think, played like it. So, I mean, it's not like they haven't played tough teams, but it's also not like they had to go to Purdue <laughs> or to Michigan State or, uh, you know, to these other places where they haven't had a, a ton of success. I don't know. They've been able to cover up 
some by not having him. You know, you've seen Greg has used three different starters to fill the void left by Kobe, and it's it's been matchup based. But initially, he went with Tyler Wall, and then Tyler maybe wasn't quite ready for that moment as a true freshman, and he's gone with Potter, and he's gone with Brevin Pritzel, and it just seems like, like Brevin said after the game, they're they're tightening the ship a little bit, and they're coming together. And I really, as we said at the outset, I think there is something to be said for this group realizing what it means to be here and they're going and attacking it and they're playing very well. Yeah. There were a couple instances I would say that that game may have not come down to the end of it. If certain things had played out Wisconsin's favor, specifically Brevin's three that went, that went down like it, it, it almost counted and then it came back out. That was the best ball movement. I think I've seen on any possession in a long, long time. It yeah. was just perfect. They swung it all the way around. They got it to him in the corner, and it looked like it was in. Yeah. And somehow came out. And then they went down and got and a three scored. point. Yeah, got a three-point play. And instead of a nine-point lead, it's a three-point game. Like, it, that was – there were a couple moments there that, that could have gone, and it could have been a ten-point win instead of having to uh, to hit the free throws they did down the stretch. But I will say this. I'm sure Wisconsin fans are thinking it feels pretty good to have a team that can hit free throws down, down the stretch. And – Obviously, Ethan Happ not being there is a, a plays role, and not having uh, Khalil Iverson there plays a role. But this team right now, second best free throw shooting team in school history at this point, seventy six point eight percent. It's ranked twenty third in the country. The only team that shot it better from the free throw line, the two thousand ten two thousand eleven team, they shot at eighty one percent, which is insane. It would lead the nation right now. It may have led the nation back then, but seventy six point eight that'll get it done most times and. 19-20, 8-in the final 28 seconds, that'll definitely get it done. All right, uh, transitioning here, we'll get into uh, some of our sold or not sold. Sold or not sold, a 3-2 and two finish to the season would be considered a success. I'm sold because it gets the team <laughs> into the NCAA tournament where they ultimately need to be. But uh, there's this five-way tie, and I feel like 3-2 and two is going to lead Wisconsin to somehow be a 7 <laughs> seed or something like that in the Big Ten. Right. It's not bad to close with a winning record. So I'm sold, but I feel like they're capable of a little bit more. Right. I mean, they're capable of it because right now they, they'll get Rutgers. Rutgers is one of those teams that is tied, so they can split that. The problem with, with this is the, the teams that they, they beat are ahead of them right now. Like the teams that, you know, and they split with Michigan State, obviously, but they lost to Iowa. They lost to Illinois. They don't get, those, they don't get an opportunity to get those games back. They do get an opportunity to, to break even with Rutgers. They broke even with Michigan State. But they beat Penn State and they beat Maryland. And unless, I mean, I guess, you know, Penn State's only a game ahead. But is anyone catching Maryland? The way that they're playing? They're up two with five to play. That's going to be tough. I think it'll be tough. Yeah. They've got a pretty pretty difficult closing stretch. They've got to play on the road against Ohio State. They're at Minnesota. They got Michigan State. It's at home. And then they're at Rutgers and they close with a home game against Michigan. So no gimmies in that bunch. No. But. Three and two would be the expected finish. Like in my mind, if I'm if I'm thinking about it, that would be my expected finish. So success, I guess. Overwhelming success would be to go and grab one of those road games, whether it's at Michigan or whether it's at Indiana. Michigan playing for their NCAA tournament tournament life. Indiana certainly well, maybe not Michigan. NC Indiana definitely playing for their NCAA tournament life at that point. And could potentially be the final home game for uh Archie Miller as well. I mean, I the way that they have. I mean, this should be. This is his third year, I believe, and they have not made the. If they don't make the NCAA tournament again, you would think that there's going to be some some heat on him. So, I think it'd be an overwhelming success to grab, obviously, the three home games, and to get one of those road games. Let me ask you this: In the event the Badgers do finish three and two in the regular season, that would put them at nineteen and twelve overall, 
12 and 8 in the Big 10. Would you have taken that at the start of the season? 19 and 12, no. 12 and 12 8 in the eight. Big 10, yes. Well, I think the only difference would have been getting those, they should have got 20 wins or something there. I mean, 19 and 12 at the beginning of the year, we probably had one of those over/unders on 20, 20 wins. And I think we both said if 20 is the barometer, I feel 19 and 12 is is not bad. They they sure. could have picked up a couple more in non-conference, but to go 12 and 8 in this Big 10, I understand there's no great team in, in college basketball, really, but certainly in the Big Ten, it's the deepest conference by far. Right. And if they were to go twelve and eight, it, to me, it would be quite an accomplishment. Even though they could go twelve and eight and be a six seed or something yeah. like that in the Big Ten tournament. Right. It's it's uh, well, I mean, at five and five, would you take nineteen and twelve? Yes. Oh, for sure. But like at the beginning of the year, it's a little bit different, especially after the St. Mary's game. You're like, they played that. That's a top. 25 team they played them tough and then you go and have the uh, the stinkers at um you know against Richmond and New Mexico you know at that point i think your expectations changed a little bit more but if you could have gotten those two then you're sitting there at 21 and 10 and that's it seems like such a small difference but it kind of isn't like it it, it kind of looks better once you hit that 20 win mark but no 19 and 12 is, is fine 12 and 8 in the Big 10 for sure yeah you would take that and you know, we'll see if they can finish that off. Sold or not sold, Wisconsin is a good three-point shooting team. <laughs> they are currently ranked 136th out of 353. They're shooting 34.6% from three. That is, I'm not sold. That is, <laughs> that, that is not good. Excuse You're, me, 34.3%. Um, they have the potential to be good. But you, I'm not going to call a team a good three-point shooting team unless you do it regularly. That's above average. Well, is above average good? That no, that'd be no, my no. question. No, no, no. I'm just but, saying. I, if I was to answer the question, I would say above average. Yeah, I would not is say this good. semantics. I don't know if this is a matter of semantics or not. But but uh, what I will say to answer this question though is they've got enough guys that can be good in the same game to do some damage against a team that maybe they're not supposed to beat, especially. You mentioned Aleem Ford in the last segment. I, I probably didn't discuss him enough, but he's been a much different player this year, but especially here of late, what he's been able to do is the difference because when, you, when you've got a guy like that, and I don't expect him to make five threes every game. That was a, a high for him. But you've got him, you've got Brad, and you said Demetrik's been shooting very well since the Michigan State game, and we know what Brevin can do. There are so many guys capable of doing it, but no, collectively, they have not been a good three-point shooting team. The thing about Aleem, and talked to him last week or and talked to Dimitrik about it, is it has been since the Iowa game. Since since Kobe King left, his attempts have gone up. His uh, in, in The Iowa game's a little bit of a... isn't great because he was uh, in foul trouble a little bit, but you know he, he had eight shots in that game. Six against Michigan State, nine against Minnesota, eight against Ohio State. Only took five against Nebraska, but they came back in, in, in eleven. And his the shooting percentage uh, is way up too. So I mean, I, I just feel like in Big Ten play, his aggressiveness has taken a step up, and he's trying to get inside, and he's he's playing confidently. And I know we said this about Brevin too. Is I necessarily believe him sometimes when he would earlier in his career he would say he was confident. I I didn't necessarily believe him. Now I do believe that he's confident, and Aleem's the same way. And there was a video after the game of Greg Gard in the locker room, and he's talking to the team, and he was saying, I knew Aleem was locked in when he took a three in front of our bench and said good before it even went in. Like, that's just not his personality. That's not what he does. Even though 
he has a lot of outward emotion when he makes things, but the confidence aspect of it maybe isn't there or isn't naturally there as it is with certain guys that have come through this program like a Ben Brust or like a Bronson Koenig or like uh, Sam Decker. You know, all these guys that thought every single shot that went up was going in, I think Brevin and Aleem are a little bit different. I don't know if he outwardly told himself once Kobe left that I need to be a difference maker now. I I, I doubt that's what happened, but you're right. I, there's been a drastic change because he's made 13 out of 27 three-pointers since that Iowa game. And if you look at the numbers, this season he's only shooting 33%. So that means he had 16 made three-pointers the entire season until then. Now you're going to bolster those numbers when you make five in one game. But yeah, the, he stepped up, Dimitrik stepped up, and Dimitrik even talked about that, that he felt like he needed to take some more on his shoulders. But they're they're doing what they need to do. It's This is a, pretty amazing, I, I think, just all the things they've endured this year to be in this position with all the quad one wins. And, and as you said, it's, it, in my mind, it's a no-doubter that they're an NCAA tournament team barring a collapse where they lose every game. No, I mean they they got to win two they got to win two more. Okay, if they go one and yeah, they could go one and four down the stretch and, and not make the end. Yes. that's a collapse. Yes. barring a ca- catastrophic event here in the end, uh, I think it's really been. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but is this one of Greg's better coaching jobs here? He hasn't been here a number of seasons. Number one has to be the first first year because without that run, he's not the coach now. But. Given everything that's gone on, it's not the coaches; it's the players, and that's what he said last night. It's or after the Purdue game, and there's no magic wand, but there's not to have to have this come all together in this way. It's pretty impressive, considering yes, considering what they went through, what they are. I think what they still are going through. It's not like the Eric Helen situation just happened and it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't affect things going forward. It certainly does, like the Kobe situation. That's behind them, but it's still very present in who they are as a team. Uh, Howard Moore, still very present in what they are doing. We saw Jarrell Moore there at the game on uh, on Wednesday or on Tuesday. So all that stuff is still here. And for them to continue to overcome it, even though you can tell at times it it has to be mentally draining on them. But no, as a team, where they are, with what Greg Gard has been asked, has, has had to work with, much of his own doing, I get, and not in terms of like in terms of players. I'm saying these are players that he put in place. It's been a good coaching job. You got to finish it. Oh, 100 percent. It doesn't mean anything if I'm they not, go one and four. Right. Yeah. I was never to the point of so many, uh, so many people on Twitter, and so many people, and, and some people in the stands for calling Greg Gard to be fired. Like that. That was never something that I was anywhere grasping to. It's been a good. It's been a good coaching job. Been a good coaching job. Yeah, you don't have to say it's been a great coaching job, but it's to be determined, right? It's still up. It's still up in the air. I mean, there's still five games left in the regular season, and at least two games in the postseason. We can probably circle back if they somehow make a run in the Big Ten tournament or make a run to the Sweet Sixteen in the NCAA tournament. Maybe that will change. But it's been the players, I think, more so than because I. I don't know if we note. Have we noticed a huge change in what they've been doing offensively or defensively? Have they just become better at it? Yeah, I don't think there's been a substantial change. Other, yeah, I think it is better. And Greg said that too. You you hope you get better. The things that you basically you screw up on in November or December, you right. better know what you're doing in in February. And the coaching staff has a huge 
part of that in pushing guys and, and trying to figure out a way to get them to do the things that they need to be doing. But there's there's still a lot to go. But it's been a good coaching job, and uh, it remains to be seen if it's going to be his best. Uh, sold or not sold? If I had one free throw to save my life, I'd want Brevin Pritzel taking it among the Wisconsin among the players on Wisconsin's team right now. I think there's a couple options here. I think you can Brad go, and, you can go and Brad Brevin are, are the two Brevin. that come to mind. But you have to look at old Micah Potter. Yeah, I'd still want. Ooh, 26 to 28, I think, for the season. I'm guard-centric. I'm a guard, so I'm going to side with the guards. Brad has been... He's up over 90 now. Really good. Yeah, he's up over 90% now for the season. Yeah. 47 of 52. Micah is 27 of 29. Brad's fifth in school history in free throw percentage. Yeah. 83.2%. Yeah. It's hard to say you wouldn't want that guy at the line. It, it is. Uh, Brevin is up to 80, like with the makes he had last night. And I kind of mentioned, I said, you know, the one area is Brevin hasn't been as good this year. It's been his free throws. And then he goes and hits eight straight. He's at 82%. Mike is at 93, though. And I still flash back to the red-white scrimmage where he missed a couple of free throws. And, like, the first thing he said after the after the after uh, when we talked to him was like, don't worry, I make my free throws. But he's been fantastic. Like, I... To me, you probably have to go with Brad. It seems like you were leaning toward picking Potter. You're but I, free to do. I'm going Brad, though. Brad's got a bigger, a longer history of it. Of overall body of work. Yes, his overall body of work is better than, is bigger. It's not better, but it's bigger. No, screw it. I'm going Micah Potter. I trust Micah Potter. All right, I like it. Now we have to ask him to have a, a free throw shooting contest with, to determine a winner. With, with, with a gun to both of our heads. Because that's, that's what this, this is. They're, they both have to make so a free throw to save our lives. So our lives would be on the line. Yes. This is pretty intense. This it is. just got real. Um, sold or not sold, Wisconsin should wear their throwbacks for the rest of their home games. Not sold. Only because uh-huh. only because if you do it every time, it won't be as cool oh, or yeah? as special. Is that, is that what you said about the February uh, uniforms? Well, did they wear them in March? They didn't. They should have. That's didn't. what I'm saying. <laughs> they were cool because they were only worn in February. Oh, but they were only supposed to be worn once. It was like at the beginning, just like these, at the beginning of February, they were supposed to be worn once. The players loved them, so they wore them both home and away every single game. I would pull back on the retros until the last game of the season. Against that way, you remember uh, uh, how cool it was. Northwestern. Northwestern. If you do it every game, it's just not as cool. That's that's where I'm at. What they need I like to do, the limited edition Jordan runs, you know? What they need to do is find the red ones and break out the red ones. Uh, Under Armour should have made some red ones for them to take on the road. Uh, or give them some tournament style ones because the the throwbacks are great. Oh, they're nice. They're nice. Yeah, I like them. I, I would wear them. I'm, I'm if they are only great because you only see them, you know, every once in a while. People would not love them. I don't think nearly as much if they were the everyday uniform, but they're pretty nice. So I think you want them the rest of the home games. I do, and all the road games. Yes, make make the other team wear wear their their road uniforms when you when you come to their home. Seems only fair. All right, wanted to get into uh, a couple more things here before we get to the Twitter questions. Earlier this month, Big Ten became the first conference uh, to talk about supporting a student-athlete one-time free transfer where you could transfer and play right away at a new school. The ACC came back uh, and followed suit essentially this week, and then it reported that uh, the NCAA's Transfer Waiver Working Group, uh, this part of the Division One Council that does all the decision-making or for, for uh, Division One's athletics, came and put out a proposal that would make it reality. Now, 
According to this uh, article on NCAA.org, group efforts have resulted in a plan that would allow for a first-time four-year transfer in all sports to compete right away if they receive a transfer release from their own school, leave their previous school academically eligible, maintain their academic progress at a new school, and they leave under no disciplinary suspension. These are also the same rules that are actually already in all sports except for football, basketball, hockey, and baseball. In your mind, would this be a positive or a negative for Wisconsin? For Wisconsin specifically? Yes. Ooh. I think it would be a positive for the most part. And I say that because I, well, every situation's different. It is. Obviously, Kobe would be gone and he'd be out of school next right. year and he'd be eligible. But I think they get, generally speaking, guys that are there for the long haul. And they, they, they've had, maybe their- that's not fair because they, they get guys that transfer if they're not a part of the rotation. But I, I think generally, it would be good for a place like Wisconsin. And I, I, overall, I try to look at this from a perspective of just the student-athlete and right, student-athlete right. welfare. But I think it, it's good. It's, it's obviously great for student-athletes. That I think it's great for every student-athlete. I'm just wondering, for Wisconsin's purposes, whether it's guys coming in or guys going out. That's the bigger question to me. To is me, what type of player would they get who'd be unhappy somewhere else that would say, I want to be a part of Wisconsin's system? Would it be somebody else in the Big Ten? I don't know if that would – would it be someone from a mid-major program? To, to That's be, what I look at more for, than what guys would potentially leave from Wisconsin. Because if you're not happy, you're not happy. Maybe it, it tips you over the edge a little more because you don't have to sit out. Right. That's the thing. Like that. That's the thing I'm thinking about is Wisconsin wants to be a school or is a school that is a lot of development, right? Like guys develop as they get older, and a lot of guys are not in the mood to want to sit on the bench for two or three, you know, to one, two years. And at that point, you get there, you see you're not going to play right away, and be like, no, nope, I'm gone. And I feel like Wisconsin has been forced to, probably more so than they would like, play a bunch of true freshmen. We've seen it a whole bunch more uh, under Greg Gard than we saw it under Bo Ryan. I mean, Demetri Trice played as a true freshman. Obviously, Brad played as a true freshman. Nate Reavers played as a true freshman. We've seen Tyler Wall play this year as a true freshman. You know, But then there's other guys that, are, that want more playing time and don't really see an avenue to- towards it like Ty Strickland, and was like, nope, I'm gone. And Tyler Taylor Curry, the same thing, gone. I feel like Wisconsin would be more right for players to to leave because of that. I don't know, though. Like that's, that, was just my, that was just a thought off the top of my head. I haven't put a ton of thought into it, but I'm just, I don't know. It's a tough hypothetical to answer because it goes back to fit. They, I can't say they wouldn't get anyone from the Big Ten because they have Micah Potter, and obviously his situation at Ohio State, right. was it was time for him to go and – as Greg alluded to, perhaps Ohio State did not want him to be a part of that uh, program anymore, and he's a major contributor this season. So yeah. it depends on the circumstances, but I sort of that that's the initial reaction is what types of players would you be getting if guys were leaving? But there, there's people want to be people want to play in the Big Ten, and Wisconsin is a winning program, and I, I still think that they would have a lot to offer. It'd be interesting to see if if this comes to fruition. No no doubt about it. Yeah, it could uh, look. They're going to be. Gathering feedback from athletes and schools and conferences here uh, over the next few weeks, but they plan to present it at a meeting in April and could pass as early uh, in time for the 2020-2021 school year, meaning a guy like Kobe King will probably not have, if it does pass, will not have to sit out. And Michael Potter came along a year too late, uh, clearly. So, actually, two years. Yeah, two years too late. The other thing I want to talk about was kind of the Micah Potter and Kobe King situation. How does the NCAA selection committee handle those 
roster additions and roster exits uh, when it comes to seeding, uh, because they were five and five and five without Micah Potter, eleven and five with him, four and two without Kobe. How do you, how do you judge how do you judge their wins with Kobe? That like that like we don't want to talk about Micah Potter judging his judging losses judging that five and five without Micah, but how do you judge their wins? With Kobe, I don't think it's going to matter that much in okay. the end when the when the tournament committee sees Wisconsin. I don't, think, I don't because, think it will either. I'm just putting it out there. Well, be, because this is the cliched phrase, but the overall body of work is going to have Wisconsin at 18 or 19 wins, and they're going to be a seven or an eight seed. And I think it'd be different if they were this great team with Kobe and he left, and they completely tanked. I mean, they're playing good basketball, and the Michael Potter situation. He's had enough time. It, I, I just don't see this. Being a major factor, I think it's going to be the fact that they've got X number of quad one wins, that they're top five, top six in the Big Ten, that they've got 19 wins. They're going to be slotted in as a seven or an eight or a nine, and it it doesn't have anything to do with how they've played without Kobe other than they've played well enough to put themselves in a position to be in the tournament. Right, and the ding, the ding, the only ding on their resume is New Mexico right now. Obviously, a loss to Northwestern would be another ding, but... um that's the only that's the only ding, and it came without Micah. So, again, I don't I don't know how they'll judge it, but I think I was just wondering in your mind or anybody's whether it's uh, is it something that will actually impact could impact a seed line. Whether it is they're an eight, and all of a sudden they're like, well, they played that first ten games without Micah, maybe they're a seven. I also don't know how they're going to see all these te- all these Big Ten teams because they can't. There's there's certain rules, and maybe it'll break down to the fact that you know they won't have any choice, and you'll have certain Big Ten teams playing earlier than than maybe they should. But how that impacts the seeding, you know what I'm saying? Well, Guys, you're gonna teams get playing too early. You're gonna get three Big Ten teams in one region if you got ten teams in there. The way the way ESPN has it set up, Wisconsin's an eight seed in the Midwest, and Maryland is a two seed, and that's pr- I, if they get ten teams in there, every region is going to have at least two Big Ten teams, and a couple are going to have three. Yeah. That's that's how I would imagine they would work this out, right? But like, yeah, but you're going to have to seed them so that they're not playing. They might wind up playing each other in a second round or something like. I, I just th- there's so many factors in moving pieces with 68 teams. Yeah, if you wind up playing in the second round, you do. It's it's happened before, and there's too many teams right. to not a, have this happen. Yeah, I'm just I don't know. Like I'm wondering if that'll imp- I, maybe it won't impact the season. I don't know. Who knows? All right, uh, getting into our Twitter questions and a, a lot of questions about the the crowd at the Purdue game. And uh, the crowd, just in general, has been a point of contention for people much of this year. Uh, it, it certainly has, at least in my opinion, been quieter than normal. But on Tuesday night, there was a uh, majority of the student section that did not appear full. I don't even know if they filled up the first uh, first half of or the first deck of it. I think there were still seats and rows open at the back of it, but the second and third deck were essentially empty. Zach Showalter took a picture and sent it out and said, UW-Madison, where are you? And that kind of took off and people have had comments on it throughout. And there were, uh, you know, there's there are certainly reasons for people commenting why they don't come. I got a, um, a long message from Bryn, who used to be a UW student. She isn't anymore. But she said, too long-winded to tweet for a swing question. So she, I'm just going to read this, all right? So, why don't people cough Zach Showalter, Sam Decker, 
understand that it's not as easy as waving a magic wand to get people into arenas. Especially in the last few years, there are plenty of tangible and obvious reasons why attendance, especially among students, is down, i.e., one, the team is very inconsistent this year, two, easier than ever to get a good experience watching the game on TV, three, there's no star player like Frank, even Ethan Happ, any sort of Giannis-type dude that even casual fans would pay play to watch. Four, UW doesn't sell alcohol at games. Sports are more fun to watch with a beer in your hand. Five, older season ticket holders consistently complain about any additions to game days to make them younger, like the DJs. Old people hate DJs, apparently. Also consider history. The Badgers finished in the top four of the Big Ten all throughout our childhood. She says she's 28, so definitely older than the average undergrad. These past two years have been the worst in our memories since we've been alive, basically. Of course, the incentive to watch and attend games is lower rant over. Those were all very salient points. I don't know if I can disagree with any of them, to be quite honest. <laughs> but here's the thing. The tickets are sold. Like, all the season tickets, they're sold out. Uh, the season tickets for students are sold out. So those people are that bought tickets are saying, I'm not going to go to a Big Ten game, in a pretty important Big Ten game, on a Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. That's what they're saying. All the tickets were sold. And they cannot make the walk to the Kohl Center to go to a game. I agree with the with the alcohol. I agree with you know the environment. Like it, it, there's a lot of things that probably are against it. But either you like basketball or you don't. Why are you buying the tickets if you don't want to go? I'm, I'm guessing to sell them, but clearly no one's buying them. So why even do it? That that's a fair question. I. Mm, this is a hard one. There's so many home basketball games. Is the other thing they play 16 home games. There are. Every few days, there's another game. And I honestly can't argue with I understand if you get the tickets. You bought the tickets for a reason. But you also can do whatever you want. Oh, and of it's course. Hard, it, it's hard to ignore the the television and comfort element of, of not being there and not walking through 20-degree weather. It's also, yeah. it's also hard to ignore her point about it's not being an overly flashy team. It's not mm-hmm. like a team. It's not a team that you... You know, there there are Wisconsin basketball fans that are fans of Wisconsin basketball, and then there are basketball fans that are fans of entertaining basketball. And for the most part, at times, Wisconsin basketball, not exactly easy to watch. So for the average fan, but again, they've started to play better basketball. They've started to play winning basketball of late, and they're not showing up. I think there's something to be said for fan apathy that... Yes, when, there and, is. And say the same for football, just... yeah. You get used to Wisconsin being at this level and being this good. Right. I mean, even the students now, were they in high school or Yeah, I mean, five, years, school, five, five years, years ago? Five years ago? When it was the greatest run ever. Yeah. And if you're not at that level, it's just not quite the same thing, and it's hard right. to get that amped up for it. This is, not, this is a conversation that's not going to go away, not for basketball, not for football. And the easier it is to watch away from the stadium, and I do think – the alcohol thing is a legitimate. For sure, <laughs> it would be a lot easier to want to make that walk over right. if you knew you could. And like the Michigan, imbibe. the Michigan State game, you know, it was it was pretty full. It was pretty full. It wasn't all the way full, but it was pretty full. And you know, that was a Sunday game. That was a Sunday game, and it was a good time. And you know, that felt more like a party. Last night wasn't. And they've tried. Like people say, they got to try things to get the students in there. They've tried. They they are doing things. There's only so many things you can do. It's also. Worthwhile to note that they've already got all that money in their hands. They don't, <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to get concessions, that type of stuff. 
but they want the environment. But the season, the t- the people that are selling the tickets, they've already got that money. They've they've that, the athletic department has already taken in that money and put it in their pocket. So, is there motivation? Is there to get more people in there to make it more? Yes, there definitely is. But it's not a situation where they desperately need. They're not losing money out of their pocket for those kids not to show up. Any ideas to get kids to show up? No. I would say this is totally off the wall, like so ridiculous off the wall, but every single game you come to, you get to fill, you get to check in, right? And I think they do this for, on a much smaller scale, but every game you get to check check in, you check, and every time you check in, it's an entry into an end-of-season pot, and it's one free year of tuition. That might get people to show up more. But in each in each time you show up for a game, it's another entry. So you show up for the Ryder game, you show up for the Purdue game, you get another entry into that pot. And I that's a very expensive thing. But I feel like you get sponsors to do it. It's a little over the top, but I feel like that would give people motivation to show up. We don't work in the marketing business, but we we work around people that are in the marketing business and and to there's different ways to get people to do things that you want them to do, and it's usually giving away stuff that is valuable, and that to me would be extremely valuable. I like that you come on this show and are a solutions-oriented individual. I, I it's not that a would be a fascinating idea. It'll never happen, <laughs> right? <laughs> but at least you've thrown something out there. Yeah, because the DJ is not going to be the the reason that you show up. No, it is not. Definitely not. Mark asks, "What? Uh, thank you, Bryn, for for writing in. I do appreciate that." Uh, Mark asks, "What's most important from program perspective? Put in order: seed line, location, first round matchup. First round matchup is at the top. For me, it is. Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, of course. Seed line. Who cares? I mean, honestly, well, they, no. they've been an eight seed and they've gone on to be a one yeah. seed. They've yeah, been a five you, seed and lost you, to a twelve seed. Right, right. But like, if you had an opportunity to be an eight seed or a seven seed, that'd well, be sure. And then location." I think it depends. Like if if the if there was an opportunity for the location to be in Milwaukee, that would probably be second to me, right? I think matchup would be first, location would be second, and uh, seed line would be third. But in, in this situation, I think location is probably third. Yeah, there is and no Milwaukee this year. You're no, going to Om- Omaha or right. St. Louis or it, right. it, honestly, it, it's going to be a neutral site. It's not going to be what it was at the Bradley Center, right? In 2014, yeah. right? I, I I get that, but what I'm saying, or like, say if it was in Chicago or Minneapolis, like if it was a spot where a lot of Wisconsin fans would be, I could see that. It's in Omaha. It's in Sacramento. It's in places that, for the most part, you're not going to have a ton of Wisconsin fans, so it doesn't really matter. But the first round matchup is by far the most important thing. Seed line is second, location third, especially Agreed. for a program like Wisconsin. I think I think there are some teams where. They are so talented that even if the matchup isn't quite right, they can fight their way through it. And with Wisconsin, if you get... I, let's explore what matchups would be worse for Wisconsin. <laughs> I think there are, there are certain teams that if they speed up Wisconsin, if they get them out of the rhythm, if they pressure, that's, that's trouble. Well, Purdue, it can be. Purdue, Purdue I, would, would you call that token Pressure? I mean, I mean, guys who are in your face in the yeah. backcourt the whole time. Yeah. If you're actually trapping, pressing and trapping, trapping and stuff like that. Or I don't know. There's a lot of different things that could hurt this team. We've seen they've had some issues when you've got really physical big men. But what what kind of issues do they present though? The physical guys? No, Wisconsin. Like what well, kind of what, you know? They're different. They're different than what you see on most nights. The issue that Wisconsin presents is they frustrate the hell out of you if you play at a higher pace. It doesn't matter who they play. They could play the the 
the highest scoring team in the country, and there's no way that team is going to get anywhere near whatever their season average is because Wisconsin is going to make you play at their pace. They're going to defend you. They're going to milk the shot clock, and I think that can cause problems and maybe panic when you're in a situation that you're just not used to. But from a personnel standpoint, it's got to come down to the ability Wisconsin has to hurt you with different players. It's just a matter of you don't know if that's actually going to show up on a given night. Right. And the thing about it is the first-round matchup is one thing because they get three or four days to prepare for you. It's the second-round matchup. I think where Wisconsin succeeds more often than not is that second-round matchup where they don't have as much time to prepare for you and you are a different-looking team than what they see on a regular basis. Because Wisconsin is different than what you see on a regular basis these days. That first-round matchup, okay, we'll see. The second-round matchup, I think that's where Wisconsin can can succeed if they get there. Um, TM Fitzpatrick asks, can Wisconsin go 5-0 over the last five games? Can they go 5-0? That would mean they go eight and zero over the last eight games. I don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah. Can they? Yes. I think the one that is most likely to trip them up would be at Michigan, even though the Wolverines have really underwhelmed since they got off to a super hot start in Juwan Howard's first season. Beyond that, they got three home games and an Indiana team that hasn't played very good, but as you said, is going to be totally desperate. Yeah. It's the road games that are the challenge, but it's it's been that way for every Big Ten team. Right. So so can they? Yes, but will they? No. Yeah. Uh, Brian asks, how can Wisconsin avoid extended droughts? How can they avoid the trice at the top of the key with three seconds on the shot clock? To me, it's you make a concerted effort to stick the ball inside and try to get something up close to the basket, because I do think that could potentially be a, a big problem in the NCAA tournament if you're so stagnant and you're relying on one guy to do all the dribbling and get a shot that you could have got with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. Maybe it's forcing it inside, but it's good ball movement yeah. and getting someone open. Yeah. Uh, Chris asks, will this team get shut out of all conference postseason honors aside from an honorable mention or two? Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if they'll get honorable <laughs> mention. I don't know if there's anything there. Maybe defensive. Nate Reavers. Maybe, all, maybe, a, maybe the all-defensive team. Maybe a second-team selection there. I don't know. Trice has been good that in that respect. Nate Reavers is the only one I think would make. They have a third team. They do. Maybe maybe he's a third-team guy, but... Probably not. Yeah. Honorable mention, for sure. Yeah. There's probably a couple guys honorable mention. CT Badger asks, true or false, Demetri Trice has been the glue that has held this team together since the King incident. In terms of his on-court play or that wasn't behind the, the scenes? I don't know. I don't know what that... I can only judge it based on on the court. Um, false. I don't because again, I don't think it's about one single guy. But he, he he's been a huge difference maker in the last six games. I, I there's not one guy. That's what Wisconsin basketball is. Yeah. Excuse me. John says is something we already talked about. Is this guard's best coaching performance yet? Um, he's on track to get to the tourney with seven scholar, eight scholarship players, right? Because Seven for one game. Yeah. Um, scholarship players and sign one, if not the best recruiting classes in school history. Well, I think we already touched on it. To we me, the, the the first season will always be the best coaching job. He went 15 and 8 <laughs> and 12 and 6 in the Big Ten when everything looked like it was on the verge of disaster. But outside of that, to me, it is. It, I don't, it almost has to be given <laughs> everything that's happened. But again, to be determined. I don't know if it's fair or not that you are judged basically entirely on what you do in March, 
but that's the nature of the business and this sport. So if they make a run, it'll be really, really special. Yeah, because most people don't pay attention to the sport until about this time. After football, leading into, into March Madness. Wisconsin will take on Rutgers and uh, look for a little uh, payback. Or revenge, I should say, after the Scarlet Knights beat them earlier this year. They'll do that on Sunday. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.